0: So I hope you all ready to be learnt up today. I hope you all ready for some exhilarating sports conversations that may or may not actually be out of date and actually should not be talked about in the month of June, especially mid June. But we're going to talk about them anyways because it's my show and I can do whatever I want. Yes, sir. (laughs) I, I apologize. I apologize for the 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 mean insulting intro, but. I'm excited for today. I'm very excited for today because if you did not know... Now, you guys will know what the result of this game is. But the United States is playing Mexico tonight. So, it's Thursday, June 15th right now. The show's obviously coming out on Friday, June 16th. And you will know the result. The United States versus Mexico. This is a game for the CONCACAF Nations lead to get a place in the final. This is the tournament the United States beat Mexico in last year. Where Christian Pulisic scored the penalty. And then Andres Guadrado went down and got his penalty saved by uh, Ethan Horvath, who was coming in for an injured Zach Steffen. And little do we know, that would be one of the last times we would see a guaranteed number one spot for Zach Steffen, let alone number one spot, a guaranteed roster spot for Zach Steffen, who wouldn't even go on to make the World Cup squad, which is just insane to think about, given the context of everything that's taken place since then. Or wait, was that 2021? That was 2021, wasn't it? I'm getting all my years the same night. Weird how I remember this how why this took place the same night. But Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather was that exact same night. Exact same night. And <laughs> much like Logan Paul during that fight, the United States knocked Mexico out to win their first trophy, which is the first win over Mexico that year, I believe, first in three wins. And I think that's correct. I think well they they beat him in the end of 2020. They beat him near my birthday, because I went to a concert that night. One of my friends was having a concert. And then they beat him in the Nations League final, and they beat him in the Gold Cup final. No, they did beat him. They did beat him last year, because it was the first time in the United States or Mexico team has beaten the other team three times in the calendar year, which is pretty cool to see. But this is going to be a fun game. It should be a fun game anyways. And the other two teams in the CONCAF Nations League for the finals are Canada and Panama. And that game's taking place right now as we speak. And that game is currently sitting at uh, whopping 1-0 right now in favor of the Canadians. I don't know. what What's that starting lineup looking like for Canada in that game? What are, what's their team looking like? I guess, I didn't even see what their squad was. I guess I've even really looked at the United or Mexico squad for this tournament as well. I say tournament. It's a one-off game, essentially. But we got Borian and Nett. Uh, Buchanan is up top with Kyle Laren, Jonathan David is in the squad as well, which makes sense. No Alfonso Davies as far as I can say. T- no, he is. He's on the bench. He's on the bench. Uh, Lucas Cavallini's in the team. Uh, Atiba Hutchinson at a hundred years old is still playing. Dane St. Clair is in the squad as well on the bench, not junior Hoylet. Someone else, another Hoylet. Oh, that is junior. Oh, his name's David junior Hoylet. I guess I was unaware. His first name was David. Cause it said D Hoylet. I was like, there's another Hoylet. And they both wear number 10, but no, it's a different one. Then we got Jonathan Ozzario is also on the bench. Uh, yeah, ah, crap. Eustachio, Eustachio is uh, also in the squad. He's playing on the right wing, at least according to MLSSoccer.com, Soccer.com. But, yeah, Jonathan David unsurprisingly scored the opening goal for Canada in this game. That dude has scored so many goals for Canada and such. Like, his goal-to-game ratio for the Canadian national team is pretty ridiculous, at least it was like a few years ago, Jonathan David right now has scored 24 goals in 40 games. 24 goals in 40 games. Even Kyle Larin's goal tally is pretty ridiculous. 28 goals in 60 games. He's, <laughs> like, this is really impressive stuff. This is really impressive stuff. Those are the top two goal scorers in Canadian national team history. You would expect at some point Jonathan David to take over because as good as Kyle Larin is, uh, Jonathan David's going to overtake him at some point because Jonathan David is significantly better than Kyle Lair. And As much as I have no disdain for either one of them, though they're Canadian and though Jonathan David was actually born in the United States of the Amer- United States of America, I don't care. I don't care because the United States is Florian Baligan, so we're all good to go. But even like Lucas Cavallini, thirty-five goals, 18 or thir- thirty-five goals, eighteen goals, thirty-five appearances, he sits. In the top ten as well, or the top five as well, for goals scored for the Canadian national team. And he will eventually be in the top three conversation at some point. So all three of Canada's strikers will be in the top three all-time scoring charts for the Canadian national team history. Passing Dwayne Day Rosario, who has widely been considered the greatest Canadian soccer player of all time. One would expect that title goes to Alfonso Davies. Just for the levels he's reached at club level. Like, he went to Bayern Munich as a winger from Vancouver Whitecaps. And then David Alaba got hurt. He moves to left back. And he's a Champions League winning left back. Like, this dude's ridiculous. He just can't stay healthy. That's one of the big issues for him. But 39, 39 appearances for Canada. Teon Buchanan, who we brought up before. Very speedy player. Atiba Hutchinson again. Surprised he's still freaking playing. Uh, Ismael Kone. Uh, he's getting started off in his career. He's only 20 years old. He's only 20 years old. And the crazy thing about, like, it brought up uh, Alfonso Davies. Well, and Jonathan David, to a certain extent. But more so for Alfonso Davies. He's been around for so long. He's only 22. And watching, like, the NBA Finals recently, with a lot of these players getting drafted at 18 years old, like, this dude's been around forever. He's got to be, like, 40 years old. He's only, like, 35 or 33 or something like that. I can't remember. I can't think of any specific players. But, like, Stefan Eustachio, very solid player there, too. Their defense, you know... It's it's not great. It's not great. It's not the worst thing of all time, but it's not great. Their strength is definitely in the attack. It's definitely in the attack. Goalies are all right. Milan Bjorn Borjan, sorry. Been around forever. We'll see who takes over. We're expecting Dane St. Clair to take over eventually for Canada's starting goalie, but I'm excited. So Canada again, the game is sitting at how much time's left in the game? We're at 50 minutes left in the game. Canada versus Panama. You know what? I'm going to try and pull this game up. And while I'm getting this game pulled up, let's go over some of the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on those accounts at Logan Anderson or Blackman on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at Blackman Logan with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show. One Facebook and YouTube. Make sure you search the Logan Bladman Show. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and like and follow the Facebook page as well. And you can also go to theloganblattmanshow dot com and you can check out all the links there as well. You can go to the last three pro- uh, last three podcast links. You can do that. You can go check out our blog posts as well. We don't have any recent recent blog posts for you, but you can go check out the the uh, recent. I, I I say recent, the semi ish recent. <laughs> Blog post regarding the top ten quarterbacks for the next year's quarter for next year's NFL draft. The insanely early quarterback prospect rankings, which unsurprisingly had the top two being Caleb Williams and Drake May, but the rest of the list, it's pretty surprising. I will say so myself. I do say so myself. It was very surprising stuff. But the most important thing. Oh, oh, oh! Panama just almost scored, headed off the line. Or no, Canada almost scored. Canada's in white. Canada's in white. Panama is in red. This is at uh, the Raider Stadium, the Death Star. We got Allegiant Stadium today. Buchanan almost scored, almost made it two nothing. Buchanan on the wing. Let's see what he can do here. Fakes across. Does a nice little step over there. Plays it back towards the middle. Plays it back out wide. Right back over. Last Buchanan plays it down the line. Jonathan David with the cross sends it in the box, and it's cleared out by Panama for a throw in for Canada. But the most important thing, though, is to make sure you follow and or subscribe to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. And while you're there, because the only thing you know, the only way you know what I'm saying at this point in time is if you're following and or subscribed to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts, I would greatly appreciate if you did that. If you even think you are, just go and check. Might as well go and check. And then leave a rating at of five stars on both as well. It could be a one-star rating or a five-star rating. Obviously, I prefer a five-star rating. But if you want to leave a one-star rating or anything below a five-star rating, that's fine. Just let me know down in the description on why you feel the way you do. And we'll get everything sorted. It can be about an individual episode. It can be about the show as a whole. We'll try to get better or we'll try to stay the same. Because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right type thing? But when it comes to it ain't broke, don't fix it, this is a topic that's kind of been brought up a lot recently in regards to the United States men's national team. And that's the discussion on who the next manager will be. It's a very hot button issue for the United States men's national team because this is you're hosting a World Cup. You are hosting the 2026 World Cup. Obviously, Mexico and Canada are involved as well. But the majority of the stadiums are held within the United States. I'm pretty sure the championship game will be played at SoFi Stadium, I believe. Now, the logo's trash, but the, the majority of the tournament's going to be taking place in the United States. But I will give credit to Canada and Mexico in there as well. I think Canada's got two stadiums. Mexico, I think, has got three and the rest of them for the United States. Or Alfonso Davies is coming on the field. Imagine having that in your arsenal. Having a player like Alfonso Davies able to come off the bench for you. That's insane. That's a little mean. That's a little mean, isn't it? So yeah, we'll see how Alfonso Davies does in this uh, in the last 30-so minutes of the game. There's 30 minutes of regular time left. We'll see how he does after that. But with hosting a World Cup, there comes a lot of added pressure. Jonathan Azario is also coming in as well, which is another big game. He's coming in for Buchanan. But hosting a World Cup, there's a lot of pressure. Because when you look back at the 2022 World Cup with Qatar, expectations for Qatar weren't that they were going to go super far in the tournament. But most people out there, including myself, given what we saw in the, the Gold Cup the year before, was like, this is a team that can be somewhat competitive. This is a team that could push some people. They got some talented people, especially going forward. They have a very set, strong formation with a starting lineup that's changed maybe once in like five years. Like these guys aren't even, like, the past two, what is it, like, the past two, three years, they have done nothing except practice for the national team. And I may be getting that a little bit wrong, but from what I've gathered, all, a lot of those players have just focused mainly on playing the, for the Guitari national team. And to do all that, and to perform like they did at that World Cup, some toothless-ass performances, like, insane performances, that game against Ecuador was awful. They just got and continually got worse from there. <laughs> like that was the you could go down in history, arguably. Now there's other candidates and there. there's been a lot of World Cups throughout the history. World Cup's been around for a long time. World Cup's been around for a very long time. There's obviously going to be host countries that are worse than others, but man, that guitar team, given what I thought they could, again, I don't want to. I'm making it sound like I thought they'd go super far in the knockout stages and stuff like that. Again, I just thought they'd be somewhat competitive. I thought they'd be somewhat competitive. I know there was inexperience, but, like, you know, you get that extra boost when you play in front of your home country, your home fans, and stuff like that. Like, you saw what happened with Russia in the 2018 World Cup. Look how far they went. They knocked out Spain in the knock the first round of the knockout stages on penalties. They dominated a few games in their group. Now, their group wasn't the hardest group of all time, but the fact that they dominated in some of those games the way they did, and Denis Cheryshev, like, and Golovin as well, like, they had some players that just played out of their skin that tournament. And no one expected that going in. Russia was not a good national team; they're not known for their soccer. They weren't expected to do anything, and yet, lo-, there, lo and behold, they make it out of the group. Not only that, they beat Spain, a team that won the World Cup, a team that won two Euros in a row. Like a very now, obviously, different players involved with this team, but it's still a very talented squad. Like something had to happen. You have to be like even South Africa, when they host the World Cup. They scored their first goal in the tournament. It was like the frick a freaking bomb went off. Like, it was insane when that happened. And not only that, <laughs> did, did South Africa score the first goal in the tournament, which, you know, they're in the first game, so obviously they're you would expect them to score the first tournament. But not only that, they beat France. And the only reason they missed out of the knockout stages was because they had less goal difference. They had a worse goal difference than Mexico did. They had the same number of points. They had four points. They tied Mexico 1-1. Beat France. Now, this is a France team. They had a lot of issues. Yes, it was the France team that went to the World Cup final the year before and lost to Italy. But this team had a lot of issues internally. And a lot of that came to the forefront at either just before or at the 2010 World Cup. And then we obviously know Brazil, but that's a little bit different because people are expecting Brazil not only to go do well in the tournament, win the group, but win the whole thing. And if Neymar doesn't get hurt, if Thiago Silva doesn't get an extra right yellow card and miss the game against Germany and they lose 7-1, maybe that tournament goes a little bit different. Maybe. I'm not saying there's a... I mean, losing 7-1 and the way they did, to say that certain players missing out would change the entire thing of it, who knows if that's true? I would just like to think it would. Because I think having Neymar in there would make it at least somewhat more entertaining. Having Thiago Silva in there would make it gets a little bit better. Maybe Germany still wins. Maybe Germany still goes on to win the World Cup. But Brazil doesn't get embarrassed like they do in that stage. But the United States, going into the World Cup, you've got to get this right. You are This is the United States' quote, golden generation. And for those of you who are unaware what a golden generation is, this is the time for a country where all the young players are super talented, They're all coming up at the exact same time, and if they're going to pounce, this is the time to pounce. The recent golden generation we've seen is Belgium. That was the recent golden generation where you got the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, where you've got the likes of Romelu Lukaku, Eden Hazard, uh, Dries Mertens, Marouane (laughs) Fellaini, Thibaut Courtois. Like this is a team that had a lot of talent for a country that you know hasn't been. I don't really know how to word this because they've had success in the past not like winning major tournaments or anything but they've been competitive but this team was like they're the number one ranked team in the world now we said going into the last World Cup that that was bullshit we did not we did not agree with that number one rating at all but that Golden Generation for the most part failed they came third in a World Cup they came third in the 2018 World Cup that's it that's it they lost to uh, Croatia not lost to Croatia they lost to France but that was a tournament that was kind of right for the taking for them. If they were going to do it, that was that tournament. And you see what happened in the Euros in 2020 slash 2021, because it was Euro 2020, but it took place in 2021. And you see what they did in the 2023 World Cup, where they're bickering left, right and center with Kevin De Bruyne saying they're too old. And then you see what happens there. Like you have a golden generation. This is your time to beat. To If you're, you're going to take teams by surprise, everybody's been hyping it. It doesn't help that they're American, because there's going to be more spotlights. America's the biggest media market in the world. We're not the biggest soccer market in the world, but if America gets big in soccer, like they currently are right now, like it's, it's going to be massive and there's going to be a lot of attention to it. So a lot of players are going to get overblown a little bit. And some players are some people in Europe that are fans of teams in Europe a lot of teams in the Premier League where you see the likes of Leeds United going in for a lot of American players, you see Chelsea bringing in Christian Pulisic, you see Crystal Palace bringing in Chris Richards. Like You see a lot of Americans around Europe right now, but for the most part, the super hyped ones this past season didn't perform to the level that we as fans of the United States men's national team are accustomed to seeing. And that goes down to a lot of different things. I don't want to make it sound like I'm chastising them for not performing to their top level because... There's a lot of those teams that those players are on underperformed immensely. Like, look at what Chelsea did this past year. Christian Pulisic was far, 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 far from the biggest problem on that team. You look at Leeds United, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney were far from the problems, the main problems on that team. Sure, Weston McKinney didn't play that well. Sure, Brendan Aronson started hot and then dwindled. Sure, Tyler Adams missed the latter parts of the season. But they were far from the biggest problems on that team. So a lot of people are going to be like, man, it's kind of like what we're seeing with the Buffalo Bills this offseason to a certain extent. They've been hyped in the past. They haven't really been performing recently to the level of what people expect. Because, again, remember last season, before the season started, the entire NFL Network panel said the Buffalo Bills were going to go to the Super Bowl. The entire panel. It wasn't like one or two people. No, it was every single person on that panel said the Bills were going to the Super Bowl. And now they're not that hyped anymore, to the point where they're kind of underrated. The United States plays well in tournaments. And I remember listening to people talk, before the 2022 World Cup, more specifically before that game against England, the United States should have won against Wales, We saw Timothy Weah score a goal in that game, and then Christian Bale scores a penalty. And you, you tie the game 1-1 again, and Canada just scored. Alfonso Davies just scored. So again, it's nice to have a player like Alfonso Davies come off the bench for you, but he just scored. But a game you should have won and sat back against, it sucks. And you go against England, who are massively hyped. They're also in the cusp of their, quote, golden generation. They've had golden generations in the past. Hell, their golden generation missed Euro 2008. What likes with David Beckham, with Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, like, a prime, prime, John Terry, Rio Ferdinand. Like, this is a team that is loaded. And they missed a whole tournament. The United States missed the 2018 World Cup. They came back for this one. Stressful times. Stressful times. But I remember listening to a lot of people because I watch a lot of YouTube channels that are over in England. Watch a lot of soccer channels. And I remember listening to Jamie Carragher, who played for Liverpool, who was around that squad. I don't know if you would necessarily call him one of the top... He wasn't one of the top guys in that English squad that we talked about before. But he was in and around that squad. He goes in and talks about a preview for the game, says England's going to win 4-0. England's going to win 4 nothing. And, and the face value, you look at what England had as a roster. Like, Harry Kane's better than every player the United States has. You look at the likes of Raheem Sterling, same thing. You look at Declan Rice. You look at Jude Bellingham. You look at John Stones. You look at Jordan Pickford. You look at, and I'm just naming players off the top of my head that played in that game. You look at Mason Mount. Like, before that game started, every single player that played for that English national team... Most people out there would say they would start for the United States. Luke Shaw. Kyle Walker started right back in that game. Like, these are players that everybody's familiar with. And there's a thing called the English tax where people overrate the English players because they play in the Premier League, and it's the biggest, hardest, toughest league in the world, which is why I really respect uh, Jude Bellingham going to Real Madrid. I think that's an insane move. It's an awesome move because there's not a lot of English players that test the waters abroad. Like David Beckham went to Real Madrid, Steve McManaman went to Real Madrid, Gary Lineker went to Barcelona. But for the most part, then you had Jude Bell or um, um, well Jude Belling went to Borussia Dortmund first, and then you have Jadon Sancho going to Borussia Dortmund. Like you have certain players that go abroad. but For the most part, English players stay in the Premier League. Harry Kane might be going to Real Madrid because apparently Manchester United pulled their interest from him. So we'll see how that goes. Kareem Benzema is obviously going to Saudi Arabia. But you look at, I don't even remember why <laughs> we were bringing that But the English Premier League, again, widely considered to be the best league in the world. At least the most watched. At least the most profitable league in the world. So everybody knows these players. So at face value, on just on paper, you're like, man, this English team is a lot better than the United States men's national team. A lot better. Again, every single player that played in that game for England before the game started, you would probably say they'd start for the United States. Especially like Harry Kane, unquestioned. John Stones, unquestioned. Like, there's certain players that are unquestionably starting for the United States. If not every player. You go in that game with Gary Litter, or Gary Litter, with Jamie Carriger saying they're going to win 4-0, and the United States force a 0-0 draw, and you look back at that game, and you go, man, the United States should have won that game. The United States should have won that game. And then you go on to beat Iran, and then you sit back in that game, you play a 5-4-1 team at the end of the game sit back and fight all this pressure almost draw the game which in turn would have kept you out of the group and he played the Netherlands and he just got exposed flat out just got exposed you didn't they didn't play that terrible in that game I think the score line is a little unfair to them because I think it was 3-1 was the final they just got exposed defensively they slept they fell asleep defensively and that's why when you look at what the United States can do when you look at what they're building, you look at all the talented players they've got, you look at them hosting a World Cup, you see them hosting a Gold Cup this offseason. As well, we brought up the Gold Cup roster the other day. We talked about them going to the nation, possibly going to the Nations League final tonight. See if they can hold on and beat Mexico like they did last year, but it's time in the group stage. There's so much building on with this United States team, and one thing they've got to get right is the manager. They've got to get it right. And for the most part this offseason, they have screwed around. They've dicked around with this entire thing. And it's been insanely frustrating to watch. I don't care at this point in time that they haven't named a manager. And that doesn't bother me because you've got a few years to the World Cup. The World Cup's not until 2026. We are sitting here on June fifteenth, 2023. We've got three years to the World Cup. When does the World Cup officially kick off? When is the opening day of the World Cup? Opening day of the World Cup is June TBD. Okay, so we don't even have a date. We don't have a start date. So, again, three, pretty much three years from now, the end date's July 19th. So, okay, this could be the first day of the World Cup. Today, realistically, could be the first day of the World Cup in three years' time. So, we've got time to name a head coach. And this is a Gold Cup that, again, would I have liked to see a stronger squad? Most definitely. Most definitely. But I know there's players that have European obligations. they got to go to the preseason tours and all that stuff. So some of them can't go. But I again, I expect to see a little bit of a stronger squad. Oh, they got Giovanni Reina's got blonde hair now. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. But maybe Giovanni Reina goes off for a hat trick tonight. He's supposed to be starting, apparently, to the, the leaked squad that I saw earlier today. or I've seen pretty much throughout the week, I guess. But you've got to get this right. Because in that World Cup, what did we just mention? We talked about a game against Wales. A game you should have won. Where you were up one nothing ended with a 1-1 draw. A game again you should have won, because you sat back. A game against England, you were massive underdogs. By almost everybody watching, apart from the most diehard United States fans, including myself, because I didn't say they would lose this game. I said they would draw. We said this on the show. You can go back and listen to that episode. I don't remember what number it was or what the exact date was of that game, but you can go back and listen to that episode of us talking about the game, analyzing the game, about why it would be a draw. And they played well. They attacked England in that game, which is the only game they did that. And then you look against Iran. You go up 1-0 right before halftime. And then guess what? You bring on another defender. You play 5 at the back. And you bring on Haji Wright to just be a big meathead in the middle of the field. And you play a 5-4-1 formation. And you sit back and invite pressure against the Netherlands. You get caught out numerous times. And the problem was with that Netherlands game... Two of their goals in that game were the exact same thing. Exact same. There was no coaching changes. There was no adjustments. You got out coached in damn near every single game. Apart from England, because Gareth Southgate is pretty much just a little, a posh version of Greg Burhalter. That's essentially what he is. He's the same exact manager. And that's why a lot of England fans are tired of Gareth Southgate, because this is the best team England have had probably ever. Obviously, they won the World Cup in 1966, and they had a very talented squad then because they won the World Cup, but this squad's so good, and they feel like they're wasting it with a manager like Gareth Southgate, and that's what I don't want to happen with the United States. I don't want that to happen because I saw this today, and it just so happens that the United States play Mexico today. So we were going to talk about the United States anyways, but it just adds on to the things we were going to talk about about this team, is that Greg Berhalter is expected to be one of the finalists for the United States head coaching job. Again, I'm I'm done with this era. I'm done with it. Like, it's fine. I don't think Greg Berhalter's a bad coach. I don't think he's a bad coach, but he's a safe option. He's been outcoached far too many times. I respect what he did against Mexico, but to be fair, this has been one of the worst generations of Mexican talent that I've seen in a very long time. If the United States hadn't beaten Mexico in these past few games, I'd be a little bit upset. Looking back, in hindsight... The talent level for this United States team versus this Mexican team are completely different. And again, I haven't looked at Mexico's squad yet. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Greg Berhalter is too much of a safe option. You are hosting a World Cup. You have the most talented squad you've ever had who are entering their prime. Like, you look at the United States' current squad. Let's just take a look at the squad. Where's it at? So, right now, just key players. Key players right now. And we're not going to do three years in the future because we don't want to do math and stuff like that. But you look at the key players of this team. Matt Turner's 28 right now. you got the likes of Serginho Dest, who's 22, who didn't play well this year at club level, but still young, 22. Chris Richards is 23. Anthony Robinson's 25. Miles Robinson's 26. Joe Scaly's 20. Austin Trusty's 24. Jonas Moussa's 20. Giovanni Reina's 20. West McKinney's 24. Luca De La Torre's 25. Ricardo Peppi is 20. Christian Pulisic's 24. Brendan Aronson's 22. Alejandro Zendayas is 25. Forian Balligan is 21. Tim Weah is 23. Taylor Booth is 22. And you go back into the, the people that aren't on this current squad. You look at the even Ethan Horvath, who's 28. Zach Stephens 28. Gabriel Solina is 19. And you keep going down the list. You've got the likes of... Okay, Tim Reems 35, so the chances of him being on the next World Cup squad are not great. But to be fair to Tim Reem he was the best player for the United States this season, arguably, arguably, because I know Mark McKenzie's had a very solid season for Genk as well, but Tim Ream uh, on current form might be the best center back the United States has had, at least on current form level. On current form level, no one's played to this level like Tim Reem has for the United States at center back. Ogochi Aniewu should have been that guy, but he just wasn't. And again, Mark McKenzie is 24. Brian Reynolds, who made the Gold Cup squad, who we completely forgot about is 21 years old. Then he got t- 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 Cameron Carter-Vickers is 25, Eric Palmer Brown's 26. Then he got the likes of you want to bring in James Sands he's 22, Jordy Mihailovic is 24, Eric Williamson's 26, Paxton Aronson who could be fun to watch in the future is 19. Tyler Adams, the captain, is 24. Malik Tillman is 21. I know a lot of people don't like him, but Jesus Ferrer is only 22. Brandon Vasquez is 24. Cade Cowell is 20 is 19. Daryl DK is 23. Matthew Hoppy, who I can believe forgot about, who was a baller in the last Gold Cup, is 22. Josh Sargent's 23. Haji Wright's 25. And that's not even including some of the youth players that they have. Like, this is a very deep team. They've got more selections available than you've ever had before. This squad currently, and we said this when it first got announced, this squad is arguably better than the World Cup squad. And they don't even have Tyler Adams or Tim Ream in it. They don't even have like Mark McKenzie in the squad either. Like, let's look at the forward options. The forward options are insane: Pepe, Pulisic, Aronson, Zadejas, Baligan, Wea, Booth, and Reyna, Musa, McKinney, De La Torre, Johnny Cardoso, solid player. He's only twenty-one years old as well. Miles Robinson. Now, Miles Robinson would have been the World Cup squad, but he was hurt, so we can't really say anything about Miles Robinson. But Chris Richards was also hurt. Like you're looking at two center backs, probably Chris Richards and Miles Robinson might be the two most talented. And then Austin Trustee's is obviously up there as well, um, market value wise. I think it's Austin Trustee and Chris Richards are the two most valuable center backs the United States has. I think Cameron Carter-Vickers is right up there as well, who's been vice captain for Celtic this year. For whatever you say about the Scottish Premier League. Celtic is a massive-ass club. Massive-ass club. The fact that Carter Vickers has been vice-captain for that team is ridiculous. Again, whatever you want to say about the Scottish Premier League. But this squad's better. And this is with an interim coach picking. With Greg Berhalter, the 2022 World Cup squad featured a lot of MLS players. And for... Someone who wants to see the MLS grow and doesn't want to bash the MLS, when you are at a World Cup, you need to pick your best players, not players you're comfortable with. And you've heard Jermaine Jones talk about this before. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but you've heard Jermaine Jones talk about this before, talking to Jordan Jordan Morris. The comfortability of these players that play for these MLS squads, for the United States players in particular, obviously, is insane. Like, Jordan Morris is from Seattle. Jordan Morris went to Stanford, was gone for four years or three years or however long he was at Stanford, then came back to Seattle, was a part of the Seattle Sounders youth squad, went to Swansea City, got hurt, never went back. His parents live in Seattle. His dad's a doctor. Like, he's got all these different outlets in Seattle. Why leave? He's playing really well in Seattle. But the fact of the matter is, you're not going to develop as well here as you would over in Europe. That's just the fact. And, again, the United States could be able to get there eventually, but that's just simple. Like, my best coaches when I was playing soccer, get this, were not American. The best coaches I had were from overseas, whether that was from England, whether that was from Scotland. Like, the best coaches we had that helped me form as a player were from overseas. I had a couple coaches from America that I really liked. Like, my high school's current head coach, I had a really good relationship with him. I really liked him. Really good coach. But going overseas and playing with players that you're not better than, guaranteed. Like, Jordan Morris came to the Seattle Sounder squad, and he was better than a lot of the players that were there at 19 years old. You go over to Europe, you're starting back at ground zero. It's kind of a similar situation that we've talked about with Caden Proctor. I know it's a hot-button issue around the state of Iowa. It's kind of died down a little bit. Who's going down to Alabama. And I understand his reasoning completely. Like, Iowa's offensive line for the standard of Iowa offensive line is not the highest it's ever been. I think every Iowa fan could be is fair. It's fair to say that. At this point in time. So he goes down to Alabama. Because at Iowa, he would be the best. He would be the best offensive lineman Iowa had. By quite a decent margin. And to him, and again, I understand this. Because this is what we're kind of talking about here with the United States. And the development of the team. He's not getting better. Because he's not having anybody really push him. He's so much better than everybody. That it can kind of halt the development per se. And some people out there. Angry Iowa fans lose a kid from the state of Iowa down to Alabama, blame it on NIL money like Alabama needs any help pulling players. He's going to a place where he's not going to be the best. And maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe he's just another player, which I hated when people threw that one. I was like, at Iowa, he'd be a star. Alabama, he's just another name on the roster. It's like, okay, screw off. He's going to Alabama. Like, again, it was between Iowa and Alabama. I understand he had, like, Xavier Nwongpa at Iowa. I understand he's from Southeast Polk. They wear black and gold. He's from Iowa or from Altoona, I guess I should say. Southeast Polk's not a city. But it's Alabama. Ross Piercebacher did the same thing 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Remember Cedar Falls, committed to Iowa, went down to Alabama. No one bitched about NIL deals back then or him getting paid back then. No, because it's Alabama. But now that everybody's talking about NIL deals, that's oh, that's the only reason he went down to Alabama. Okay, screw off. I'm an Iowa fan. I've always been an Iowa fan, but good Lord, you got to have some, a little self-awareness here. You're not Alabama. You're not, Alabama does not need to pay anybody to go to Alabama. It would help, but they don't need to do that. But you look at some of these top players. They need to go abroad. And that's why a lot of people, you look at that World Cup squad again that were picked, like, players that play in the MLS were getting playing time over players that were, they were worse than the best way I can put that. They were worse than Jordan Morris getting more minutes. And I understand there were some things off the field. I understand that with Giovanni Reyna, with the whole, the, the is coming after Greg Berhalter, the thing with his now current wife, or he, the, the whole blackmail thing. I, I'm sure of most of you out there. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. But Giovanni Reyna playing less minutes than Jordan Morris is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I, like, there's no way, there's no other way to really state that. And he got, like, I understand to a certain extent why Shaq Moore was playing because of the speed he brings, but there's no reason, again, he should be playing over Joe Scaley. There's no reason. You look at that first game against Wales. Starting lineup, solid starting lineup. Very solid starting lineup. I think it was the starting lineup most people expected out there. Apart from Josh Sargent, because I think a lot of people, including myself, thought Jesus Ferrer was going to get the starting job. But you look at the backups. Three of the players from the MLS: Yedlin, Kelna Costa, Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris and Yedlin, I'm done. I said this when we talked about the Gold Cup squad. I'm done. I'm, I've I've seen them. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. Shaq Moore going in for Sejinho Dest. Like they, England brought on Marcus Rashford, so I understand bringing in more speed. Dest was pissed off that that happened, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Like, I don't know if he had a strict plan that Joe Scaly was only going to be a left back, but that's, no, Joe Scaly is better than Shaq Moore. And i watched Shaq Moore down in Kansas City. I watched him score in the first 20 seconds against Canada. I was at that game. I was sitting right behind his parents. So I like Shaq Moore. But these these substitutions, the lack of changing, the squad in general, was so head-scratching that it's just too safe to keep going with Greg Berlter. When you have a team like this, you've got to keep moving you can't just keep treading water you've got to actually start going forward there's no reason no disrespect to Canada there is no reason Canada should have won World Cup qualify, should have came in top the standings and World Cup qualifying in CONCACAF last year there's no reason for that because sure Canada's got Alfonso Davies who pound for pound is probably the best player between the United States Mexico and Canada and I know they have Jonathan David but as a squad the United States squad is better than Canada's. So why is Canada beating the United States, not only on the field but in the standings as well? And you saw what happened in the World Cup. The United States played 100 times better than Canada. Canada was one of the worst teams at the World Cup. So why is the United States struggling against Canada? You that should not be have we should not be scratching and going like man, he, uh, are I going to miss the World Cup again? <laughs> like getting that that nervous feeling. Do we have another? Do we have a penalty or something? What's going on here, Canada? Oh, red card! They're they're varing a red card, varing a red card. Well, that's not what Panama needed. They're down to nothing in the 88th minute, and one of their dudes just got a red card. Not great. But Greg Berhalter, I just saw this the other day. Greg Berhalter was linked with a job with Club America. Not the United States of America, Club America. It's a team down in Mexico. He was linked with Sparta Rotterdam as well, which is a team over in the Netherlands. And apparently, Greg Berhalter is expecting to return and manage the United States national team. No longer a candidate for Club America. You look at all the coaches they're linked to. Patrick Vieira they're linked to. Thierry Henry they're linked to. Um, I don't know. It's not realistic at all, but Pep Guardiola they're linked to. Jesse Marsh, even for all the shortcomings of Jesse Marsh, he's better than Gray Burhalter. Like he's not a terrible coach. I don't want to make it sound like he's this awful, awful coach that's way off out of his depth. He's not like a Freddie Kitchens or anything, but you're stagnating. This team needs to progress. You need to be playing fast, expansive football, not this sit back, Five defenders, four midfielders, one big ass striker, and just hope Iran don't score because if we lose, if we tie, we're not going through. We need to win. Like that mentality, the lack of changes throughout this this the game against the Netherlands, especially, no longer a candidate for Club America. Like I, and the players, the thing like the players like Greg Berhalter, and I I think that's fine. I think that's fine. If the players like him. Again, that familiarity. Let's get something new. Let's try something new. This team is too talented to be playing five at the back with four midfielders against Iran. I don't care if you're trying to see out a game. They shouldn't need to do that. They shouldn't need to do that in the slightest. And you're looking at what this Gold Cup squad could be. Oh, here's Marsh's agent. Jesse Marsh's agent. Jesse Marsh will not be the next manager of the United States. Nice. Of all the candidates, of the cans we know of, Patrick Vieira is the front runner. If this holds true, so Patrick Vieira is currently the front runner, apparently. So it's between what it sounds like between Burhalter and Patrick Vieira. Oh, here's the starting lineup. Here's the starting lineup for the United States. Like we said, Miles Mur- Miles My- Miles Morales, Miles Robinson and Chris Richards starting center back pairing the best, most talented pair they have. So it's Matt Turner net, Destin at right back, Robinson at left back, Richards and Robinson at center back, Musa and McKinney at holding, Rain at the 10, Wayham Pulisic on the wings, and Florian Balligan. That is the best line. If they now if they had Tyler Adams, that's the best lineup they could put out. That lineup is so good. That you cannot have a sit back coach with that squad. That squad is so damn good. Your defenders are not defensive enough to play that type of squad <laughs> to play that type of game. Can't do that. Like Dest and Robinson, as good as they are in spurts, I think Robinson's better, but I think Dest is more versatile. Dest can be better. But they're offensive. They're track they track back well. They're very fast. They track back well. But you're not you're not defensively sound enough to be sitting back like that. I just don't I'm, – I'm done with Burhalter uh, The whole Reyna situation, whatever that was, because some of the players apparently don't like Giovanni Reyna, that's fine. Get over it. If you don't like him because he doesn't like the coach you like, that's fine. The problem is Giovanni Reyna, like it or not, is going to be there a lot longer than Greg Burhalter is, whether he's the coach here or not. Like we said, Giovanni Reyna is 20 years old. Giovanni Reyna the last day of the Bundesliga season got two assists. Giovanni Reyna is going to keep being a part of the squad. Whether Berhalter's there or not, Berhal- Giovanni Reyna can play till he's 35. Who the hell knows? Berhalter's not going to be here for 15 years. God forbid. I'm just intrigued to see what happens. And I don't even think, like, like Patrick Vieira is nothing insane, but you saw some of the stuff they played early on with Crystal Palace. Not what they ended with. Not what they ended with. But you look at, like, Michael Olise. Wilford Zaha, Eberechi like they had some fun players in that team. They're playing better with with Roy Hodgson, but there was some there were some early signs with Patrick Vieira. It just ended pretty shittily. <laughs> That's the best way you can put it. But it's something different, something different. I don't know if I would trust the whole Thierry Henry thing. He's interested in the squad. He's interested in coaching, but the last time he was a head coach, it didn't really work out. So, I don't know if I'm 100% behind that one, but that was just an example he brought up earlier. So, if it's between Berhalter and Vieira, I'm on the Ber- I'm on the Verre- Vieira train. I'm on the Patrick Vieira train. He's won a World Cup. So, I'm not saying the United States is going to go out there and win a World Cup. But, I think he'd be better than Berhalter. I think the squad's too good for that. Because I don't need... I'm done with the like pandering to the MLS players. Again, I love the MLS. I love the league, but... Yeah, I'm I'm just done with it. I'm 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 tapped out of it. You look at some of the players they have. And sure, some of the players they have are in the MLS, but not because they're stagnating or because they're comfortable. Miles Robinson will move at some point, but I don't need to see Aaron Long in the squad again. I don't want to see Matt Miazga back in the squad. I I have no real issues with Mark Walker Zimmerman, but he's older. It's time to see like Mark McKenzie should have been in the squad. Mark McKenzie should have been in the squad. We should have had a center backs of Richards. I mean, if, I don't know if Carter Vickers, what, if, if he's hurt or something, but Carter Vickers would obviously be mentioned up there, but Robinson, Richards, Trusty, McKenzie, that should have probably been your four center backs. If we're being honest, it should probably have been your four center backs. The rest of the defense, I'm perfectly okay with, but it's just that Walker Zimmerman thing. And again, I have no real issue with him, but Aaron Long, I'm done. Get Get Aaron Long out of here. Get Aaron Long out of here. That's the problem. I don't want to see him back. I don't I just don't want to see him back. I don't want to see Morris back. I don't want to see Yedlin back. Time to expand. I don't want to see her her Ferreira starting over Pepe or Baligan, God forbid. So yeah, it's just time to expand. You got a World Cup coming up. The soccer in the United States is gonna be booming more than it has ever, especially with Lionel Messi coming over here. He scored a goal today against Australia. Like, you're, soccer's gonna be freaking booming. This is your time to strike, not to sit back and be stagnant. Don't do that. Do not do that. Let's just hope they Im- keep improving. Is too good of a, this squad is too damn good. Again, you look at the squad they have. The squad's awesome. This squad's good enough to beat Mexico. This squad is good enough to beat Mexico. This squad's good enough... The United States, realistically, should not be losing anybody in CONCACAF qualifying or CONCACAF anything. They're better than all of them. I understand there's like, and I brought this up in the last show. There's, you know, going to these South American teams, South American countries, playing in front of these extremely hostile crowds. It's tough, especially for a lot of these younger players. It's tough. But you got to do it. You got to do it. And when you're on U.S. soil, you do not lose to anybody. I'm looking at this Mexico squad. Guillermo Ochoa is still here. <laughs> Guillermo Ochoa is 37 years old. Guillermo Ochoa has a th- 135 caps for Mexico. I got to see what Me- – what is Mexico's starting lineup tonight? Oh, they don't have an l tree. I thought their Twitter account was L3. Uh crap. Mexican – Mexico national team. I, I don't know what they call it. That's not what it is. Selection Nacional. Oh, so that is it. That was it. I want to see what do they have? They released the starting lineup yet? Thirty-one minutes ago. I want to see what their starting lineup is looking like. I don't know what formation they're going to play. I guess it doesn't matter. Let's just look at their squad. So you got Guillermo Choa. I'm intrigued as hell to see who their next goalie is because there was a stretch. Where the would have three goalies and all be over the age of 35. <laughs> like There's a really fun stretch. 33 to 35, they're older then. Um, Jorge Sanchez from Ajax, solid player. Uh, Santiago Jimenez for Feyenoord, solid player. Then you've got Edson Alvarez for Ajax, very versatile player, solid player as well. But this squad, it's just not, it's not on that level. It's not on the United States level at all. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Like, Julian Arujo plays over in Barcelona. <laughs> Came over from LA, LA Galaxy. Doesn't actually play for Barcelona, but... The United States should not lose this game. There's no ways. There's no reason the United States should lose this game. And Mexico hasn't lost a game since the World Cup, where they lost to Argentina, but... You can't lose to Mexico. You can't lose to Mexico. I'm sorry. You can't. The last time they played... The squads were not great. The United States didn't feel, field a particularly strong squad, and it was just a friendly, so no one really cared. This one means something. The United States fielded a strong ass starting lineup, so you got to perform. And for the, I, I guess we should bet uh, the Canada won. Canada won 2 0. So, yeah, that's fun. So, Canada is in the final, so the winner between Mexico and Uni- uh, the United States will take on Canada in the final. That game will be taking place. I guess I should have kept this open. <laughs> Nations League final. When does that game take it? Uh, CONCACAF. Not, I shouldn't have just done Nations League final. We got Croatia versus Spain. Spain just beat Italy today, and Croatia beat, what's it called? Croatia just beat the Netherlands. This is, the final's on Sunday. TBD versus TBD. So we know it's Canada. Let's try to refresh this, see if they put Canada. They put Canada there. So we got Canada versus TBD. United States of Mexico. And I'm pretty sure this game is back in Vegas, right? Is it still in Vegas? Seven thirty. Thankfully, this stupid game takes place at nine. I got friggin' forty five minutes till this next game. I got a long ass time. That's why we're recording the show now. <laughs> That's why we're getting it out of the way now. But man, it's fun stuff, though. It's fun. It's stressful, but it's fun stuff. Let's hope the United States can get it right. I don't want Berhalter back. I'm, I'm done. The squad's too good. The squad's too still holding. I like it a lot. Excited to see a partnership with Richards and Miles Robinson. In an alternate universe, this could have been our center backs in Qatar. Yeah, probably what it should have been. But, you know, both of them are hurt. Robinson tore his Achilles, and Chris Richards was trying to make his way back in time, but didn't end up getting there. Frontline is scary talented. That is probably the best frontline the United States ever had. Honestly. A frontline of Weah, Pulisic, Reyna, and Balogun. That's probably the greatest starting four they've had up top. Ever. And yeah, I'm including the teams that had like Dempsey and Donovan in, because when Dempsey and Donovan were together, they played on the wings, and the stri- the strike force was freaking Altidore and Robbie Finley, <laughs> or Hercules Gomez, or Bobby Wood, or well, Edson Buddle. Like, is nothing. This and I'm looking at Chris. I'm looking at my boy Clint right now, greatest American soccer player of all time. But yeah, reason I wore number eight. I don't know if I've said that on the show before, but I wore number eight in soccer because Clint Dempsey. Love Clint Dempsey, but man, fun stuff. It is fun stuff. I, again, I don't think the United States will win the World Cup. I'm not saying that, but they should perform well. They should perform above that level. They should. I think. Did we say this last time about Inter Milan, Inter Miami being the top five most followed team on social media? I'm just looking at my camera roll right now. Sorry, I was, I was kind of going off a random ass tangent right there. I'm like, oh, what is it? What is this? Uh, Taylor Twellman. Taylor Twellman's always got some like you know, interesting takes, but he said, pro- this, uh, someone said it shouldn't be a surprise that the United States decides Gray Bralder is still the best coach for the job. His team made real progress. Taylor twoman said progress is a real talking point. The Wales game was alarming from my point of view, considering more Kiefer Moore, more like the six, seven striker coming into the game, made the United States uncomfortable. And it was simple. Direct play. What was the record of the United States away from home outside CONCACAF? All things considered with progress. Yeah, their record from outside at home was bad. That's what we talked about. You got to win at home all the time. Like they, You cannot lose to anybody at home in CONCACAF. I know those games are tough on the road, but to say progress also praises what the expectations, praises what are the expectations, how success is defined. 22 World Cup, in my honest opinion, was different than 2014, 2010, 20. Was no different. I mean, the, the result, but yeah, I, they should have done better. Given what we saw from the other teams, they should have done better. Sure, it's progress if you define it by the 2018 World Cup was debacle, so therefore being in the World Cup is a progress. We need more. We do need more. That's what we're saying. So I agree with Taylor twoman Again, stuff, you know, stuff changes. Stuff changes over time. But with we need more, this was a common theme recently with the Buffalo Bills surrounding Stephon Diggs. Very, very big talking point. Because apparently, one of the big things surrounding this whole Diggs debacle is the fact that the Bills didn't do enough to push forward. Which, in my honest opinion, this roster is better, again, I said this on Wednesday, is better than any roster they've had under the McDermott-Bean era. The McBean era. This is the best roster they've had. And having Stephon Diggs there is crucial. And on Wednesday, when we did this show, so we recorded on Tuesday, it was the first day of mandatory camp and Stephon Diggs was not present. Every other player on the Buffalo Bills roster was there, except for Stephon Diggs, which is a bit concerning. Because it's mandatory. But I think I brought this up on the show. I think I did. Where we're talking about Sean McDermott and his comments, talking about he's very concerned. And the more I look back at that, and Diggs made an appeal. He was at practice Wednesday. He was at practice Wednesday. The more I look back at that, the more I'm like, why did you say it the way you did? Because that caused everybody to freak out. Like, when someone poses a question to you, what's going on with Stefan Diggs, and your response is, again, this is a very polarizing topic. This is the the best receiver to ever play for the Buffalo Bills. So this is a very polarizing topic for a team that, you know, is still expected given what despite what the national media says and what people out there say, the Bills are still expected to challenge for an AFC title, to at least challenge for just an AFC title, but the goal is to win a Super Bowl. Not having Stephon Diggs there is big, so everybody's concerned about, like, hey, what's going on here? He's very cryptic on social media. And then your head coach goes, when someone asks him a question about it, he goes, he's very concerned. That doesn't really spark a lot of hopefulness in amongst the fans. Like, that that doesn't feel anything. That instead feels more fear, more fuel to the fire of, oh, crap. Is he actually going to get... There's no way. There's too much dead cap in that situation. There's no way. But then your coach says, very concerned. It You get a little scared. But then as you keep looking at it, you're like, why did he say that? Why did he say he's very concerned if Diggs was at practice Wednesday? And according to Diggs' agent, they talked with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean on Tuesday. And Diggs left. But they were there he was at the facilities Monday. He was there Tuesday, just didn't practice. But from what it sounds like is that things got a little heated in the discussions. And I think Sean McDermott, who's a very emotional person, if you follow the Buffalo Bills or if you've at least watched some Bills games, I think you can tell. Looking at the sidelines, Sean McDermott is a very emotionally driven prison person. He's the one crying after every single game, talking about how much he loves his team and all that. Like him and Kirk Ferentz, very similar in that aspect. Very emotional person. So I'm sure what he said, after that whole thing, because they, they need to take a break, is what they said. and Or what he said. That sounds like the things weren't really getting, going anywhere. They're all frustrated, and it's all fine and dandy. Like, he was he was pissed. So that kind of boiled over a little bit, so he kind of spoke out of pocket a little bit. To speak the, the kid's lingo, I guess you could say. So hopefully everything's sorted out, because Stefan Diggs... Again, we talked about this Monday or Wednesday where we got the Vikings fans on Twitter doing their little victory lap. Not every one of them, but in a lot of those Bills posts that surrounded Stephon Diggs, there were Vikings fans in the comment section going like, oh, she told you so, told you so, told you so, told you so. The entire time Diggs has been in Buffalo, there's never been an ounce of that until recently. And again, we've speculated what we talked about on Wednesday where we go, maybe it has something to do with Chad Hall leaving. Maybe it has to do with something they're constantly with DeAndre Hopkins, a guy who would challenge him in regards to being the number one receiver on the team. Take a lot of reps away from him. Diggs wants to be more involved. Maybe it's because the offense completely fell off the face of the earth in the second half of the season and got embarrassed against Cincinnati at home. There's a lot of different factors there, but I, for one, sitting here as a fan, objectively, cannot go, man, screw that guy, he's way out of pocket here. No, he's not. He's completely right with pretty much everything he said. Everything he's done this offseason, whatever he's mad about, if you look at specifically on the team, yeah, I understand where he's coming from. That loss against the Bengals was embarrassing. I wanted more players to react like Stephon Diggs did when he was yelling at Josh Allen. And people on Twitter that were complaining about that whole situation, talking about, oh man, he needs to, that's the face of the fridge, embarrassing. Josh Allen's a big boy. Josh Allen can take it. He's, he's a franchise quarterback. He's been there, done that. He can take getting yelled at. If he can't, then he's not built to be an NFL quarterback, anyways. And from practice, they're shaking hands, they're dapping up, they're next to each other the entire time. Everything's to be fine in Danny, especially when Josh said in the press conference, everything seems to be fine in Danny in regards to their relationship. One bust-up is not going to end everything. And one bust-up is not going to instantly make him a locker room cancer, which is something he hasn't been the three to four years previously that he's been on the Bills roster. Chad Hall leaving. You see, the whole team loved Chad Hall, and they just let him go down to Jacksonville. When again... Josh got to pick his offensive coordinator. Stephon Diggs thinks he should be able to have his say in keeping Chad Hall on the roster, especially given how much the team likes him. And you look at how the offense dipped. I've seen some things on Twitter. My dad brought this up to me today, and we talked about this at lunch. And it was like the comparisons between Dable's first season and Dorsey's first season. And my dad and I agreed on this because he's the one that brought it up, but we agreed on this. When you look at what Dable had that first year, there shouldn't really be a comparison. Dorsey's numbers would obviously be better just given the amount of talent they have on the roster versus what they had in 2018 when Josh got drafted. Because Rick Dennison was the offensive coordinator Sean McDermott's first year, and then Dable came in in 2018, Josh Allen's rookie year. That roster was completely dismantled, especially from the offensive side, the next year. Like, Shady McCoy was on the roster. Done. You had Robert Foster's number one receiver. You had Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, Charles Clay. We've already talked about the offensive line a thousand times. Jordan Mills, John Miller, uh, Russell Bodine, Ryan Groy, another center. Uh, Vlad Ducasse, one of the worst guards of all time. Like, this team stunk. Chris Ivory at running back. Jason Krum at tight end. Nick O'Leary. I don't remember if Nick Leary was there or not, but it feels like he was there. Everybody talked about it. Did you know he's related to Jack Nicholson? Like, the numbers shouldn't be that comparable because – the and Dorsey's numbers were obviously better, but it's how you look at – it's just how things are skewed nowadays. You look at what the Bills' roster is now compared to what it was then, it's night and day, so Dorsey's was obviously going to be better. Especially coming off the year that they had and coming off the momentum that they had, it was going to be better. But then it just completely fell – again, fell off a cliff. So we're hoping to see improvement going into the season. But the roster, though, if that's something he's mad about, then that's where I don't agree with him. I think this roster, again, is better than what it ever has been. You can make an argument it's one of the best rosters assembled in Bills' history. Pound for pound. Like, this team is good enough to win a Super Bowl. This team is good enough. I know a lot of people out there, again, have fallen off the Bills' bandwagon a little bit. This team's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Their running back room's better. Their wide receiver room's better. Their tight end room's way better. Just by adding Dalton Kincaid, it's already upgraded by a 1,000. The offensive line room is way better. Like, every part of this team, for the most part, is improved. You're getting a healthy Poyer, a healthy Hyde back. Tredavious White's going to be fully healthy going into the season. Gaining some confidence back that it looks like he lost in the latter parts of last season because he's coming back from an ACL injury. And then you've got um, uh, Leonard Floyd coming in this offseason. The defensive line's improved. Von Miller towards ACL, but should be back earlier than expected. Sure, losing Jermaine Edmonds is big, but I expect Dorian Williams to come in their start right away. I shouldn't say right away. He won't start in the preseason. I expect him to start week one. Like This team is better than what it was last year. I expect out James Cook to go off this year, to be 100% off. So, you know, I wanted James to cook all year last year. So that's why I don't agree with him. But all the other factors that Stephon Diggs, in regards to the team, could be mad about, I agree with. I'm perfectly okay with. I have Again, I have no reason to panic about Stephon Diggs. Never had this offseason. We talked about it on the show. Because there's a hot-button issue, obviously. Stephon Diggs, he's one of the most polarizing players in the NFL. One of the best receivers in the NFL, and he's done this before. So people were going to talk about it just naturally. But, man, it's good to have him back. It's good to have him back. And they canceled OTAs today, which obviously blew up because of the whole thing that happened Tuesday. But that was the only team that got reported. I think, like, four or five other teams didn't have practice today either. But the Bills one got blown up because Diggs was not there. He was not there Monday. So we're very concerned. We're very concerned. Uh, You look at like, I've seen a lot of things recently, like talking about who the best teams in the AFC are. I don't remember who said this was Chris Broussard. But again, I never don't listen to Chris Broussard. Don't listen to a lot of people on Fox sports. Like that's, that's my main thing I can take away from this. They all talk out of their ass, like 99% of the time. But Chris Broussard, the guy who said the Bills' starting left tackle, Terrell LeJuan, being out when Josh Allen slipped against the Titans two years ago, was the big factor for the Bills losing that game. He also said there's no chance Kawhi Leonard goes to the Clippers. He went to the Clippers. Like, Chris Broussard asked, he said the top four teams in the AFC, and I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, but I think I've got it, are the Chiefs, obviously, Bengals, obviously, Dolphins, and Ravens. Those are the top four teams in the AFC. And I have no issue with the Ravens being on there. I and the Dolphins are improved, but since Josh Allen's been in the league, they beat the Bills twice. Like I have, I'm not scared of the Dolphins. I'm sorry, I, it's one of those things where I'll believe it when I see it. That's my whole thing behind the Miami Dolphins. I'll believe it when I see it. They got Jalen Ramsey in their talks with Dalvin Cook coming in. They've got really good wide receiver tandem with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Tua has gotten fat as hell, so we'll see how that goes this offseason. Mike McDaniel's a fine head coach, but I'm not ready to say they're better than the Bills by any stretch of the imagination. I know it's the hot thing to do now to bash on the Bills, but for the Ravens, their whole thing is if Lamar can stay healthy. And the, I love when people bash Lamar for his style of play can't stand it, be sustainable in the NFL. All of his injuries have been in the pocket. All his major injuries. They've been in the pocket. Which I think's the the ironic thing with that. But Lamar Jackson, if he's healthy, does he return to MVP form? Not what I don't. <laughs> does he return to MVP form going into next season? I think he can. You look at some of the players they've added this offseason. We talk about when the Bills added. We talk about the Dolphins added. You look at them adding Odell Beckham Jr. Yes, he sat out a year. But that dude can still play. That dude can still play. I wanted Odell Beckham on the Bills, but looking at what he was wanting for a contract, it was a little bit out of the question, given the Bills' current cap situation. They added Zay Flowers, who was the best receiver in the draft, in my opinion. And obviously, Lamar Jackson's coming back fully healthy, hopefully. Hopefully, Ronnie Stanley can stay healthy. Oh, God. An announcement of the next full-time United States Men's National Team coach could come as soon as Friday morning. So by the time this show comes out, you may already know who the next head coach of the United States men's national team is. And that's kind of terrifying. I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that at all. But the Ravens can definitely be back up there. There's no reason to believe they can't. They just need your quarterback to stay healthy. They just need him to stay healthy. They've got a good roster. There's no reason they can't. Like, again, like they need they need their other receivers to stay healthy. Devin Duvernay and Rashad Bateman need to stay healthy. They added Nelson Aguilar this offseason. Completely forgot about that. Completely spaced that. Okay, the the Mexican starting lineup. They are playing the back five five two three. Not very surprised with that. Martin start Martin starting up top ahead of Jimenez, Pineda off the left, which not surprising there. Gallardo on left wing back, Guzman Montes and Reyes at center back. Edson Alvarez starting in the midfield, and Ochoa, and I would, I would assume Ochoa's captain, or assume Ochoa's captain, but we'll have to see, but it's going to be an interesting, I still got the game on, I still got the game on, so sorry for breaking into that, but Mark Andrews is still there, Isaiah likely played well in Mark's Andrews absence for certain portions of last season, the secondary will need to improve, the defense will need to improve as a whole. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a reality where. Well, I don't see why they can't be back up. They had Trenton Simpson this offseason, which is a good get from Clemson in the draft. They got Caillou Blue Kelly, got him from Stanford in the draft. I think it's a very solid pick. Got Rocky Sin this offseason. I didn't even notice that. I know they got him, but uh, that's solid enough. Justin Tucker's still there, greatest kicker of all time, as we talked about him on Wednesday. <laughs> There's no reason why this team can't be back. And that's what's pissed me off a little bit because the whole AFC is so much better than the NFC. Like, we're not even, like, the Jets are going to be included in there with Rodgers coming in. You got Brees Hall coming back fully healthy. You've got Garrett Wilson there. You got solid defense. So you got them there. Browns can't be much worse than what they were last year. They got to, that you would expect them to improve. Patriots looking to add DeAndre Hopkins. Titans will suck. Maybe they add DeAndre Hopkins, by highly doubt that but if deandre hopkins goes anywhere i'd, ra- I'd rather it be to the Patriots or Titans because i don't think they'll challenge the bills for anything really jaguars are going to be better because they're just going to keep building one would suspect colts and texans they're going to be interesting teams to watch broncos can't be much worse than what they were last year raiders i'm not high on the raiders charge will be better chiefs are obviously the chiefs like the afc is freaking stacked absolutely freaking stacked but do i think the dolphins are in that top four no I think the top four teams in the AFC are the Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. Or do I put the <laughs> do I No the Chargers. Chargers. That would be mine. The Chargers think the Chargers need to not be the Chargers. They it could be good. Adding Kellen Moore this offseason, getting Quentin Johnson in the draft. I think this team can be good if they stay healthy and don't charge things up. They're talented. They're super talented. And they added um and they just added a running back in the draft too. I'm trying to remember who they added. No, they didn't. Never mind. I must be going crazy. They added Isaiah Spiller last year's draft, but this team should be good. This team, there's no reason this team shouldn't be good. I'd be really surprised they weren't. That's my main thing here. Their defense just needs to stay consistent. And yeah, they need to not be the Chargers. But the Dolphins again will be up there, the Ravens will be up there, the Jaguars will be up there. It's going to be fun. That's the main thing we can take away from here. But with college – with the the NFL, you got college football, and we're talking about all these teams that are going to be competitive this season. I saw this earlier today. It was on Twitter, of all places, and it was – it basically said something along the lines of predict who's going to – win. okay, basically, oh, God, (laughs) worst case scenario for the United States, United States lose to Mexico and Great Baraltors now as coach. Bombshell United States news drops less than two hours before all the Americans meet Mexico. Spot for Sunday's National League final. Jesse Marshall, and coach option. Nice. Fun stuff. But we're going to go. We're talking about which teams are going to be competitive, you know, in the NFL. Which teams are going to be competitive for the AFC. What teams are going to be competitive in college football? In the, in the top conferences. We're going to try and predict the winner for each conference in college football. So the big ones. The big conferences. So we've got. Oh, this isn't even up to. This isn't updated yet. I don't think it will change anyways. I'm on ESPN right now, but the 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 conferences are an update. Like, Cincinnati's still in the American Conference. Same with Houston, but they're obviously in the Big 12. But we're going to go ACC, we're going to go Big 10, Big 12, SEC, and Pac-12. So we're going to get through all those conferences. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun stuff. So in the ACC, I think the big hitters here in the ACC are Clemson's going to be back up there. Clay, I'm interested to see how Cade Klubnik does. I'm very interested to see how Kate Klubnick does. They got Shipley at running back. I'm excited to see how they do. Excited, like, Clemson won the conference last year, but it just didn't feel like a Clemson season. It was a very weird season for them. And the team they beat, North Carolina, they have Drake May. Sure, they lost Josh Downs, and their defense isn't very good, but they have Drake May, so they're going to be competitive. Florida State are going to be another team up there. you see seen some of the players they brought in. They got a super talented quarterback in Jordan Travis. They got better as the season went on last year. And I think that's about it for that conference. I think those are your only three teams that you're really looking at. Florida State, Clemson, Miami, Miami should be. Miami should be with Tyler Van Dyke, Mario Cristobal there. They got a new offensive coordinator this offseason, so they should be improved. But I don't know if I'm ready to say that they'll challenge for a conference title. I'm intrigued like by Pittsburgh. They're a very intriguing team with Phil Yurkovich coming in from Boston College. I'm very intrigued by that, but I think that, again, the big hitters here are Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina, and I'm going to say Florida State wins the conference. I'm going to say Florida State wins the conference. Again, I think some of the players they brought in and how their momentum carried them through the latter parts of the season, and their schedule's doable. Their schedule's fairly doable. I'm intrigued to see how they do with this schedule. It's not. I don't want to say it's an easy schedule. I don't want to say it's an easy schedule. Like, they're going to Clemson. They're going to Pitt. They're going to Florida. But Florida, they can. they can beat Florida. They can beat Florida. They, LSU first week of the season, that's interesting one. But this they got a few easy games on here. Like they got those big standout games with LSU, Clemson, Florida. But Boston College is easy. Virginia Tech shouldn't be a problem. Syracuse shouldn't be a problem. Duke. shouldn't. I like Riley Leonard at Duke, but Duke shouldn't be a problem. Wake Forest without Sam Hartman shouldn't be a problem. Pitt again, interesting team to watch. Miami same thing. And the North Alabama. Like this is a, a schedule. Worst case scenario, I think they lose three games. That's worst case scenario. And only one of those games is in conference. That's Clemson. Like, they could lose to LSU. They could lose to Florida. And that's about it. It was one game in conference. So we'll see how that goes But I'm going to predict Florida State wins the ACC this upcoming season. For the Big 12, again, there's some heavy hitters here. Oklahoma can't be much worse than what they were last year. For the standards of Oklahoma, they can't be much worse than what they were. I expect Dylan Gabriel to be better next year. I expect them to be better as a whole. What were they, 6-6 six and six last year? Like, they got ransacked by Lincoln Riley, who went out to USC. Brent Venables came in from Clemson's the D coordinator. Oklahoma guy comes in and just doesn't have to get absolutely routed by Texas. And Quinn Ewers' return game since getting injured by Al- against Alabama. But Oklahoma can't be much worse. Kansas State will be good. They got a very solid off-the-line. I'm intrigued to see how Will Howard does this season. We're going to focus a lot on quarterbacks because that's the main thing we do here. And then Texas. Xavier Worthy at wide receiver. Quinn Ewers full season at Texas. Hopefully, knock on wood, avoid injuries with Steve Sarkeesian. Texas should win the conference. Like, we're being honest. Texas should win the conference. Like, Texas Tech should be good. Tyler Show. We like Tyler Show here on the Logan Blackman show. I saw an article today that said, can they beat T- last year's TCU? I think it's a little different because no one's expecting Texas Tech to be that bad. <laughs> I don't think Texas Tech's going to be that bad. Like, TCU was expected to come in last. In the conference. Chandler Morris for TCU. Very intrigued to see how he does following the students of Max Duggan. He was a starter at TCU before he got hurt. I'm I, Oklahoma State's going to be interesting without Spencer Sanders. They brought in Alan Bowman. I don't know if Alan Bowman's going to start. I thought he was going to start at Michigan at some point. Never did. Became third string there. So there's some good, like, Iowa State, you know, not going to be great, one would assume. Baylor's going to be competitive because it's Baylor. Dave Aranda's there, so they're going to be competitive. Kansas will keep being competitive. And then you've got like BYU, Cincinnati, Houston. Not a lot of high expectations for the newcomers here. UCF, but I'm going to say Texas. I'm going to say Texas won the conference. I don't know if that's a safe one or not, but I'm going to say Texas for the Big Ten. I, uh, I'm going to say Michigan. It's Michigan or Ohio State. Simple enough. I Penn State will obviously be competitive. They're they're a good team. Penn State's going to be a solid team. I'm see. I'm intrigued to see how Drew Allar does. Allar does. Sean Cliver was there for 18 years, so I'm intrigued to see how a new quarterback does in there. He's supposed to be very good. He's supposed to be the second coming of Jesus Christ, from what I've seen on social media. But Michigan's just too. They they've got a lot of good pieces. Ohio State's going to get the fate, like the big thing out there because they got Marvin Harrison Jr. They got a Micah They got a solid team. They did lose their two starting tackles though, and their starting quarterback. I think Kyle McCord, if he's the starter, I don't know if he's officially been announced as the starter, but I expect him to put up, whoever their quarterback is, I expect him to put up good numbers. I don't think they'll put up like Stroud-level numbers, but I think they'll put up good numbers. But I think Michigan, like, I expect J.J. McCarthy to take that leap this year. You still got Blake Corm You still got Donovan Edwards. Michigan's bread and butter is running the football, and they brought back both of their running backs, who are both top five running backs in next year's draft class too. Like, you, your bread and butter is still there. Your offensive line is still going to be solid. Sure, you don't have a ton of weapons on the outside. You lost Eric all to Iowa, but they're still going to be good. I'm going to bet on Michigan winning the Big Ten. I'm going to bet on Michigan winning the Big Ten. I think Iowa will win the West, but again, that's not really saying a whole lot. It's not saying a whole lot. Notice I didn't mention them when winning the Big Ten. Iowa has to go to the Big Ten title this year. I think Wisconsin is going to be interesting to watch with Luke Fickle coming in, and they brought in Tanner Mordecai from SMU. I think that's a very good transfer, a little under-radar transfer. I think Hudson Card going to Purdue it's a very underrated transfer as well. Jeff Sims going to Nebraska is a good transfer, but I think it's Michigan. If I had to bet it, so I've got so far the top three conferences that we've mentioned I got Florida State, Texas, and Michigan winning the conference. Then we move on to the Pac 12. I think USC is going to get over that hump this year. So Utah was their bogey team. Utah was their bogey team. Utah is going to be good. Don't get me wrong. Like, Cam Rising is still there. They bring, as far as I'm sure, they still bring back a lot of people. But USC's got so much talent. Sure, they lost Jordan Addison, but you got Caleb Williams, who's going to be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy, which we'll get to in a little bit. I'm intrigued to see, like, UCLA. Washington's going to be fun. Oregon's going to be fun again. Oregon State, we'll see who their starting quarterback is this offseason. I would expect it to be DJU, but who knows. Colorado, see how much better they are. They won one game last year. They cannot be worse than what they were last year. So they're going to be better, but I'm going to pick USC. I'm going to go save and pick USC. But Utah... They'll always be mentioned up there. But Oregon and Washington, those are two main competitors there as well, especially on the offensive side. And then the SEC, this is where it gets interesting. This is where it gets interesting because Alabama, by all accounts, at least from what I can tell, is going to have a somewhat down year in comparison to what they've had in years past because their quarterback situation is not great. It's not great. You got Tyler Bookner, you got Jalen Milrow in there, and they got another kid in there. I think it's Ty Thompson. No, Ty Thompson's Oregon. I can't remember who the other quarterback is. I'm sorry but it's going to be a weird year for there. Florida going from Anthony Richardson to Graham Mertz is completely different style of offense. I don't know how, maybe it works with Bill Napier's offense better, which I don't see why that would. Cause you look at what he had at Louisville or Louisiana. I, I don't know if that makes, I I don't know if that happens. Then you got LSU. They're going to be solid again. You've got Georgia, obviously, but we don't know what they're going to do on offense. Cause they don't have a quarterback. I think it's Carson Beck's going to be the starting quarterback. One would suspect this season, but who knows? But as they proved last year, they don't need a quarterback. Stetson Bennett is a solid quarterback, but he's not really doing anything amazing. You just need him to not suck. Tennessee is the interesting one. Tennessee is the interesting one. Because with Joe Milton, and this is crazy for me to say because I really like Hendon Hooker, Joe Milton could elevate this offense given his natural talent. I think Hennon Hooker is a better quarterback, but I think Joe Milton has more talent than Hendon Hooker does. I don't know if that's fair for me to say. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. But I think arm talent, athleticism, size, you might give that edge to Joe Milton. If he can keep going, if Tennessee can keep this thing going, yes, I'm aware. They lost Cedric Tillman, they lost Jalen Hyatt, the reigning Balitnikoff winner. But this offense is so high powered. It's so fast. And if they he Joe Milton's been in the system for three years now. Like they should be clicking on all cylinders this year. Tennessee could be that bogey team, but I'm gonna I, I think it's crazy not to say Georgia. Alabama's down. I don't really see anybody else in the SEC challenging. I, I, Ole Miss will be fun. I like Jackson Dart. I like Spencer Sanders. I like both their quarterbacks, but A&M will probably get a lot of preseason love because they always do. South Carolina is going to be interesting. Spencer Rattler, see how he – because he, if he can build on the momentum he got towards the end of last season, see if he can carry that into this year. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Florida, I don't know how Florida is going to do. That one's in Arkansas will be good. Arkansas will go. Raheem Sanders – K.J. Osborne, or K.J. Osborne, K.J. Jefferson, K.J. Osborne's the Vikings wide receiver. They've got good players, and they've got a style of offense that can get them wins. It's a run, like Michigan, it's a run-first offense. That can win you games. It can help you grind out wins. So maybe, maybe they challenge, I doubt it, but I'm just going to go with Georgia. I'm going to go to safe option with Georgia. So we've got, in the ACC, Florida State, Big 12, we got Texas, Big 10, Michigan, Pac-12, USC, and SEC, we got Georgia. All right, that's fair. I don't know if those are, like, the safe options. Maybe they are. They're a little I – mean, some of those are a little safe. Like, Georgia's a safe option. Georgia's a safe option. Like, this is one of the more down years for the SEC in regards to the quarterback play. Like, you look at what we had, like, last year. We had some ballers. We had Bryce Young. We had Anthony Richardson. Like, just those two alone are better than every quarterback we got here in the SEC this year. Hendon Hooker was Eisman candidate. Will Levis was a top – until he got drafted, was widely considered to be one of the top draft prospects. Like, last year's quarterbacks were awesome, and now we don't really have that. I think your top quarterbacks in the SEC right now are Milton, in no particular order. Uh, it could be in an order because I can't remember exactly what we have for the rankings, but Milton's Rattler. Jackson Dart's a good quarterback. Will Rogers is solid. Jane Daniels. This isn't in an order anymore. I'm going in team order. I'm <laughs> in reverse order. Jane Daniels. Uh, Devin Leary at Kentucky. I'm intrigued to see how he does. Graham Mertz. Uh, who's at Auburn? Who's Auburn's quarterback? Is this still Zach Calzada? I don't that doesn't sound right. Is Zach Calzada still there? Cause I know like Haynes King transferred to Georgia Tech this offseason. They got Jalen Milrow, whoever at Alabama. KJ Jefferson at Arkansas. But yeah. Draft wise it's a fun year, but for this this landscape we call it like Ohio State doesn't have a strong quarterback, Georgia doesn't have a strong quarterback. Alabama does at least I say that we just don't know we don't know we don't know so I did you brought this up before there is a difference there was a drop-off when the Milro went in versus when Bryce Young was in there was a difference so we'll see how that goes but with the with the we're talking about quarterbacks for a little bit and we brought this up Wednesday but we never actually got into it when we were doing it our like we were went over that that guy's Heisman rankings where he had Cade McNamara in the final four where it was a final four of of Williams, Jordan Travis, Blake Corman, Cade McNamara. So he's a Michigan fan slash Cade McNamara fan, so Corman McNamara, but more <laughs> Corman is a little bit of a less of a rogue shout than McNamara was. So uh, I got ten Heisman candidates. I tried to get this in order. This isn't like – I did this in like five minutes. So I'm not like sitting here going like, this is my officially official like, dude, this – bet your house on this. But this is just off what I kind of can tell. We'll see. We'll see. I hope this is good enough. Uh, number 10, I have Jane Daniels. I'm just intrigued to see how LSU's offense expands this year. They got neighbors out at, running, at wide receiver this year. Like You saw what happened with Jane Daniels as the season progressed. You see early on, you saw what you saw at Arizona State. He has the talent. He's uber-athletic. But he's looking to run first. And sometimes I can work out. Sometimes I can work out. But towards his latter parts of his career at Arizona State, it started to hinder him. And early on at LSU, people were saying the same thing. But I think this dude's insanely talented. I'm excited to see what he does this year. LSU's going to be a good team again. So I would expect him to be up here. Number nine is Joe Milton. And for the reason I mentioned before, because this offense is so good, like, system-wise, with how fast-paced it is, with how vertical it is, I think it could be perfect for Joe Milton. I think it'd be absolutely perfect for Joe Milton. So I'm I'm betting on that. That's my main thing here. If it doesn't work out, then he's gonna be nowhere near this list. But if it does, because they got a good backup, they got a highly rated recruit as his backup. So like there's there's I don't know if there'd be like a an itch to pull the trigger or something on him if he if he starts being bad early on. But Joe Milton, if this if this team like if it works. It could be fun. It could be very fun to watch. And I think he could definitely be a Heisman finalist. Or Heisman candidate, I should say. He could be even higher on this list. He could be lower. Number eight, Blake Corum. This goes again to Michigan's run first style of offense. Blake Corum should have been a Heisman finalist this year. So, oh, my stream's not working anymore. So I could turn that off. I could turn the TV off. But Blake Corum, 1,400 yards last year. Donovan Edwards is obviously there, so it's going to take a little bit of his numbers off. But once Corum got hurt, Donovan Edwards in those last three games of the year against Ohio State, against Purdue, against uh, TCU, had three really good games, especially that game against Ohio State. Blake Horner finished the season with 1,400 yards. What could he have done if he played those three games? Like, this dude's a baller, absolute baller. But the problem is it's kind of turned into a quarterback award. So I – you know what? I'll put him one spot higher. I'll put him at seven. I'll put him at seven. Number eight – or number seven, I guess, number seven or eight, whatever, uh, is Quinn Ewers. Because, again, it's a similar situation to that of Joe Milton, but we've seen Quinn Ewers play, like play at a high level. You see the last game he played against Washington, played well. Going into the season with Sarkeesian, this offense has not got B. John Robinson. It does not have a Roshon Johnson. It's going to be all centered on the skill set of Quinn Ewers. And it's going to break make or break his career. If it works, he could be freaking awesome this year. You've got a Texas team that's got higher expectations than they've had in recent... You know we're going to keep it at seven, just because, again, the quarterback thing. I had no disrespect to Quorum. Again, we said Texas is going to win their conference. If they don't, then it's a little bit of a problem here. But I think Quinn Ewers could have a very, very good season. Now, number six, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. On a talent standpoint, he should be definitely higher. Definitely higher. But the problem that I have with this, in putting him higher or having them this low, is the fact that I fear that if he balls out, the quarterback could be ranked higher. So I have Kyle McCord in like the honorable mentions section because I think Kyle McCord could have really good numbers this year. Because unless the quarterback is like, I don't know, just kind of pitter-pattering throughout the season, he's only going to him like you kind of saw with Mac Jones once Jalen Waddell went down when Devontae Smith won the Heisman, I, he could definitely be higher. I might even put him higher, but it's kind of just a quarterback award. It's kind of just turned into a quarterback award. Rightly or wrongly, like Devontae Smith winning the Heisman, awesome, but I, I just have a hard time See, I I want him to. I would love to see him win the Heisman, but I just have a hard time. Talent-wise, he'd be number two. On what I want, on what he what he can do, he'd be number two. He's a top-two player in the draft with the guy who's at number one, so I, you already know who it is. I mean, I brought it up earlier, so you should already know. Number five, Drake May. I think Drake Mays' big issue is not even his problem. It's the defense. And I brought this up when we talked about Tim Tebow winning the Heisman when he was a sophomore. Florida went 9-4 and four that year. I think it's the last time we see a school not be that great with a quarterback winning the Heisman. Like Tim Tebow had a great year, but you need to have team success as well to go along with the individual success. And North Carolina is going to be good because the ACC is not very good. And that will also kind of hinder him to a certain extent. So unless he puts up supernova numbers and leads the nation in every single category apart from interceptions, that would be that would be his goal here. I think he can, but I think the other guys, I think they'll put up solid numbers. And I think like Michael Penix at four, I don't think Michael Penix is a better quarterback than Drake May. I don't at all. But I think with Roma Dunze there, I think Washington's offense, high powered offense, it's he's going to put up a lot of really good numbers. I think he's going to carry momentum on what we saw last year into this season. At least one would suspect. Number three, this makes some people mad. This could make some people mad. Uh, Number three is Bo Nix. Just because of the fact of how much he's used in the run game. You saw how many touchdowns he had last year? Like, the dude put up an insane number of touchdowns last season. He had, like, 15 rushing touchdowns, like, 30 passing touchdowns. I'm I'm paraphrasing the numbers because I'm not 100% sure. But he put up a lot. He even had some receiving touchdowns. Or He had at least one receiving touchdown that I can remember. Like, I, he can be up there again. He could definitely be up there again. And I just, it's just the way that offense runs. I think mean, Troy Franklin's a very fun receiver to watch. I'm i am very intrigued to see how Oregon does. I think Bo Nix could have a very good season again. And number two, Jordan Travis, we've already brought him up before. Florida State's expectations are high. Given what we've seen them bring in, given Jordan Travis's skill set, he's been in college forever, though. He's been in college a very long time. He's developed really well as a passer in recent years. And with them bringing in some high-profile receivers, and Florida State, again, having good momentum going into the season, he should be one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And should be definitely in the Heisman race. And I think that dual... That's another thing. The dual threat ability, I think, is very important here. The dual threat. Being able to put up numbers in every category, I think, is very important here. And the number one, it's Caleb Williams. There's no real explanation for that. I think there's a very solid chance he goes back-to-back. There's a very solid chance he goes back-to-back. Like, he could fall under that generational prospect type thing. Like, this dude's insane. So, I don't think... And you look at them adding Cliff Kingsbury this offseason, too. Terrible head coach, but good, like, offensive guy. I'm intrigued to see how that all goes this year. I know Jordan Travis leaving's big, but Caleb Williams' talent's too immense at this point. And then our Dark Horse, I said, again, I mentioned Carl McCord because of the fact that they Mormon Harrison Jr., Mecca Ibuka. And then, like, Travion Henderson in Ohio State as well. You've got some key players at Ohio State this year. And I think that he could definitely benefit from that. Rightly or wrongly, I think he could definitely benefit from that. And then obviously Cade McNamara. <laughs> obviously, Cade McNamara. But if I had to choose like a a non-quarterback dark horse, non-quarterback dark horse just off the top of my head, who oh. so There's probably one like glaring option I'm just completely ignoring him. Shipley? At Clemson, I think he could be have a very good season. One of the running backs we mentioned before, like Travion Henderson, Raheem Sanders at Arkansas, uh Braylon Allen at Wisconsin. We brought up Tanner Mordecai earlier, but Braylon Allen, one of the best running backs in college football too. He could put up monster numbers this year. He could definitely be up there, Braylon Allen. Is there any other, like, Brock Bowers at Georgia, tight end? Tight ends, I don't think a tight end's ever won a Heisman, but maybe he does this year. Maybe Carson Beck goes to him exclusively this next season. Maybe that's his only option. Maybe his only option is going to go to freaking what, what did I just say? <laughs> Brock, Brock Bowers. Maybe that's the only option here. But, man, fun stuff. Fun stuff. God, love college football. It's nowhere close to being college football season, but, you know, we got to talk about it anyways. And I saw this while we're closing up today. I saw this today, or today, yesterday – it was and it's been a kind of a trend on Twitter recently. It was name it was some it was originally named some NBA facts that sound fake but actually true. It was like name sports facts that are sound fake but actually true. My favorite one, favorite one, is that Spencer Sanders in back to back seasons through this completed the same number of passes through the same number of passes. He completed and attempted the exact same number of passes back to back seasons. That is crazy. That's absolutely crazy. He didn't have the same numbers in regards to passing yards, touchdowns, all that, but his completions and attempts was the exact same. That doesn't make any sense. Go look it up. Go look it up. His freshman and sophomore year, I believe. It is crazy how that worked out. I don't know if I have any other ones, but that's definitely the craziest one because I've never seen that done before in my life. I haven't seen it since. I haven't seen it before. I have no idea. But that is a stat that blows my mind every freaking time I read it. Is there any other ones I could think of the top of my head? Is there any cool ones? Is there any cool ones? Oh, Niall Kinnick never played Iowa State. I that's a I think that's an interesting one. I used that one uh, when I was doing unpress row up in Cedar Falls, Urban Waterloo. That was one of my we were doing trivia. That was one of my trivia things. He Niall Kinnick, most famous player in the University of Iowa's history, never played Iowa State. I, that's interesting. I think that's a very interesting stat or fact. What other things could I think about of the top of my head? I'm gonna try and keep it away from the University of Iowa. Gonna to try to. Oh, um, John Outland, the guy who named the Outland Trophy is named after, went to William Penn. I believe. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Yes. Yes. Okay, John Outland for the Outland Trophy. You know that the famous. Off the line trophy in college football. Named after a guy that went to William Penn. That's another one. That sounds fake, doesn't it? Yeah, that sounds fake. The only reason I know that, because there's a wall of fame in the pack at William Penn and John Outland was there. It's was like, that's not the John Outland, right? That's not the John Outland. But it is. The John Outland. Went to William Penn. Is there any other crazy... I'm trying to think of a couple more. I'm trying to think of a couple more off the top of my head. That are, like, insane to absolutely think about. Uh... Huh. Is there any other cra- – this isn't one that's – a record that was – ru- Melvin Gordon broke LaDainian Tomlinson's NCAA single-game rushing record, a record that was held for, like, 15 years or something like that, Broke against Nebraska. My dad and I went to Iowa-Wisconsin the very next week. Melvin Gordon ran for 200 yards. Melvin Gordon's record, that lasted again from about – 90 LT was drafted in, in 2001, so 1999-2000 was when LT did this. And Melvin Gordon broke it in 2014, so do the math. The next game, next week, the record got broken by Samaji Piran against Kansas for Oklahoma. That's one that sounds fake. A record that was held for years got broke in a week. And I don't think Samaji Piran's one's going to get because he beat Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon beat LT's record by like five yards. Somaji P. Ryan beat it by 20. Melvin Gorin's record by 20. So, I don't think that one will get broken for a little bit. Is there any other? I want to think of one more. I don't think that one's really mind-blowing, though. I think most people kind of understand that one because they watch a lot of college football, listen to this show, obviously. Messi scored 91 goals in the calendar year. I, that's always interesting. I saw Messi scored in every single minute of a game. I think I brought that up earlier, though. That one sounds made up, but it's... Apart from the first minute. Not apart from the first minute. So he needs to go – he could. He could score within the first 30 seconds for Inter-Miami. Inter I think there's no doubt about that. Given what he did today against Australia, I think there's no doubt he could absolutely dominate the MLS. What is another interesting stat that no one else – that sounds fake that everybody else would think is true? Or no, no, that sounds fake but is true. That sounds fake is that is true. The Browns paid $100,000 to tell them who the best quarterback was in the 2014 draft, and they said it was Teddy Bridgewater and they still drafted Johnny Menzel anyways. That one sounds fake, but that was true. <laughs> I think that's where we're going to end it. I don't really have any – I'm not going to sit here and just try to ponder my existence and try to go like, well, maybe I could name one more. Maybe I could name one more. Maybe I could name one more. Uh, Carson Wentz is, ta- is spending time in Tampa. So we're going to – we can possibly have a quarterback room of Carson Wentz, Baker Mayfield, and Kyle Trask. That sounds fake, but that's real. That could possibly happen. Oh my goodness! Top five dark, top nine dark horse candidates. This was Adam Shine on NFL Network. He does stuff with CBS Sports and stuff too. Dak Prescott, number nine or number one? Yeah, I think that's fair. Dark horse. Yeah. See, like Justin Jefferson's better than everybody that's listed above him, but he's not number five because it's a wide receiver thing. Because the MVP is a quarterback award now. Same thing with Heisman. It's kind of a quarterback award. Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. should be higher. He should be number two. Hell, he could even be number one. But, it's a quarterback award. It's a quarterback award. My Dark Horse MVP candidate, who would be, is Lamar Jackson counted as a Dark Horse MVP candidate because he's already won it? Does that count? I don't know you'd really classify as a Dark Horse MVP candidate. Oh, I saw a start bench cut between freaking Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Herbert. Why are we throwing Justin Fields in there? Why are we throwing Justin Fields in there? Obviously, Justin Fields is cut. I, I, I like Justin Fields a lot, but... Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert and you're throwing in Justin Fields like we wouldn't notice. I don't know if it was a Bears page that posted that. I forgot to screenshot it, but it was something so crazy that I had to bring it up. But man, I think that's a good point to leave it off on. Hopefully the United States ends up winning tonight. Hopefully you know who the coach is for the United States men's national team. Hopefully they announced it already and hopefully it's a good choice. Hopefully it's a good choice. We'll have to wait and see on that and carry them into the 2026 World Cup. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the game. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, make sure you follow Logan Blaventure on every single form of social media And like and follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I will see you all later. Peace.